It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewer. And each week, we look at sports topics locally, nationally. We have a gambling segment. And, of course, we have my favorite segment where you can ask me a question, ask Skinny Anything. Always look for the hashtag, ask Skinny Anything. Rick started that somehow, some way. And uh, we always enjoy your questions at the end of the podcast. i uh, got lots to get to as we now have a, a second wave of coronavirus affecting sports across the, the landscape of high school, college, and pro. But hopefully we can muddle through this and, and get to uh, get to maybe May Madness. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if it's going to be March Madness or not, but uh, we'll see. College basketball expected to start next week, we think. Uh, we hope. We'll see. Uh, so we got a lot to get to. Rick, what's going on? I, I'm signed up. I'm allegedly going to be broadcasting games next week. We'll see if we get to that point. I don't, it seems very tenuous right now, considering I just found out the games were scheduled oh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, uh, for some of those, some teams, has UC even come out with its non-con yet? No. I didn't think so. Okay. Still waiting yeah. on it. Okay. Well, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe maybe they're going to go week by week. Yeah, I don't know if they're letting Dan and Terry in on the secret ahead of time, but I can assure you uh, at NKU, the broadcasters get no special treatment. When they released those those games uh, saying they're starting on Wednesday, it's the first I had heard of it. So, uh, uh, Question, do you, are you doing them on site, even on the road? Do you know that yet? Again, I think. Not sure if we're traveling yet. Uh I, our broadcast partner, Learfield, was not sure of that either. So I played it all by year this year so far. Okay. No, that's kind of the way this, this year has been. Um, yeah. As we sit here on a, on a Thursday, for those that don't know, many of you do, I coach high school basketball, and we've been affected by the start date being pushed back to January 4th. But then the governor comes out yesterday and says all indoor practices are canceled until December 13th, and yet we've not gotten guidance from the High School Athletic Association in that regard. We're not sure if the governor meant that affected high schools or private gyms or just what. So I'm sitting here on a Thursday with a practice scheduled for tonight, not knowing we're going to practice tonight. So, yeah, it's, it's a play it by your circumstance, my friend. It certainly is. Skinny, we've got plenty to get to, and uh, you mentioned play it by ear. The Bengals are playing it by ear after an embarrassing 36-10 performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they have four winnable games ahead of them against the Washington football team, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and the Dallas Cowboys. My question for you is, could this stretch of games be the final nail in the coffin for Zach Taylor's Bengals head coach, or is that being a little bit too dramatic? No, I mean, I I would say this. You go 0-4 with still Pittsburgh and Baltimore looming, and, and Houston's the other one, which is, in theory, a winnable game. But with Pittsburgh and Baltimore still still looming, I mean, the best you're getting to is 3-12-1. 3-12-1 and 2-14, and by my math, adds up to really not very good two years, right? I, and I don't care what progress is being made and what culture is being established and whether players are still playing hard for the coach, allegedly, or not. And, and I think Zach understands that. He's He's been kind of – framed with that question in, in different ways not not as harsh as that per se but he, he mentioned uh, especially on monday we gotta start winning football games and, and i think he realizes the gravity of that and and um yeah i mean he's kind of backed into a corner where this needs to be at minimum in my opinion a two and two stretch it certainly can't be an zero and four stretch I, I would tell you that zero and four especially with three of those games coming against nfc lease teams which um you know you've already tied arguably the best team in that division so you should certainly um, have a fighting chance. I think they're what a one point dog or a pick them this week. I think they'll be a favorite over the giants, probably a favorite over the Cowboys. Probably um, you need to win at least a couple of these and, and maybe steal one down the stretch with, with Houston uh, in my opinion, to, to, to let me know that you're turning the corner by winning games. 
I mean, obviously, I agree with all of that. I've I've been pretty critical of Zach Taylor this year. I had given him the benefit of the doubt coming into the season. The way things have gone, like to me, it's not just the win loss record. It's the way things have kind of crumbled in terms of the the players, the guys asking out, the guys seemingly constantly getting injured and wanting to hold out and not wanting to come back and play for this team. There's just been a lot of stuff going on, even dating back to last season. It's just continued into the season. That makes me question whether guys respect Zach Taylor, whether he's the guy. There was all the close, you know, one possession losses we talked about so much earlier in the year. It's hard to imagine if they go one and three or oh and four in these next four games that Zach Taylor survives, not necessarily immediately, but long-term it's hard to imagine. We get to that reflection point of they're like, is, is Zach Taylor going to stick around or not? It's hard to imagine they'll come to a conclusion of yes. If they're one and three or Oh, and four over the next four games to me. Yeah. I, I don't put anything past Mike Brown and his decision-making process. I really don't like I've, I've, I've said it before. I mean, we're all making this assumption and it's probably the right uh, football decision to come to if, if things go in that direction. But um, he doesn't like firing coaches. His father got fired. He remembers what that felt like. Um, and he just doesn't like to do it. And, and, and it wouldn't shock me if he, if Zach Taylor does go and four in this stretch and does finish three, 12 and one, if they don't bring him back. Um, but I, I, I think in, in the real football world sense, no, I, I don't know what progress you can say is being made. If, if um, you know, you don't start beating some teams you should beat. Look, the score was ugly against Pittsburgh. Um, I mentioned, it, you know, you can't have it be as ugly as Baltimore. I don't think it was quite as ugly as Baltimore. Baltimore looked like they just physically abused them, but it was ugly. Um, and the one thing I will say is after that Baltimore game, it looked like they'd hit rock bottom and they bounced back with, with, you know, close games against Indy and Cleveland, both arguably playoff teams and certainly in the playoff hunt and then beat a Tennessee team that's in the playoff hunt. And so you got a chance to hit the reset button again, but uh, this time around, you're not playing playoff teams other than Miami. You're playing three really bad football teams. And to me, you got to win two of those three at a minimum um, to show me that you're making progress. I mean, like I said, if you steal one win because because two of those games are at home, that's not really going to do much for me either. You, you better at least win a couple of these and and show me something maybe in the other two. Uh, and I think I think that proof needs to be for the players, too. You know, they, they keep talking about, you know, we're working hard and we feel like we're making progress. You know, the progress is measured in wins and losses. So go win some football games. Stop talking about this and go win. Yeah, they, they keep talking about how great their locker room is. You know, we got a great locker room. I love the guys. I really think we're all working towards the right thing. I think you get to this point and you lose these games and you gotta start looking around and realizing the locker room kind of sucks. Like maybe well, guys it, it, aren't it, working that hard. Maybe they're not doing everything they can. Or maybe they're just not that good either. But well, I, mean, I think that has a lot to do with it. But you you know how that mentality stuff sure, works, right? Absolutely. All that rah-rah stuff is great until you just keep losing. And then it, that message changes real quick. Yeah, and I think any self-reflection would make you understand you're not as good as Baltimore or Pittsburgh by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't even want to use those as measuring sticks. You probably want to, but you're not there yet. But I, I do want to use the Indies and the Clevelands and the Tennessees as and, and, the, and the Miamis as measuring sticks. And I want to say I, that you are a better football team than the, than the three other NFC East teams you're about to play. And if that's the case, then go win those. Just do that. This isn't. I'm not asking to go to a four game stretch of Kansas City, um, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Buffalo, and say, "Boy, you better win two of these." No, I'm, I'm talking about the NFC East, which is the worst division maybe in the history of football. Go win two of those at least. 
Yeah, and I think it's entirely possible that they do, by the way. Like, well, I do too. I, so I, do I, I. Think Joe Burrow has shown the ability to put these things past him, bounce back, play really well the following week. I expect him to have a good game this week, and I could see them getting on a roll. In fact, that worries me as much as anything. I don't really want this team to do that. I don't want them to ruin their draft position, and I don't want Zach Taylor and this coaching staff to really – see some hope that they're getting out of this thing because quite honestly i think they've pro they've proven they're not the staff that being said i mean if they turn this thing around and they get that chance so be it it just to me it has to start right now and i, I know you said you talk about mike brown and and maybe he will maybe he won't but to me it's just regardless of how that plays out when the final decision comes down it's hard to imagine he makes it out if this stretch coming up doesn't go okay at least I, I know this. I mean, I, like I said, I, I don't take anything for granted. Um, but I, I would tell you if, if, if it does go that haywires, haywires, we're talking about it possibly going, and I don't think it will. I think they are going to win some games here down the stretch. I think they're going to go honestly three and four down the stretch and, and finish off this thing, maybe in a, in a fairly strong way. Uh, if they get, you know, they're getting a little bit healthier and whatnot. Um, but, but if not, um, uh, you know, if there's fans back next year and you don't make a coaching change off of a one in, you know, a three and 12 and one finish off of two and 14, oh. um, uh, you, you better hope COVID restrictions are in place or you're going to have an embarrassing crowd size. Yeah, that's the only interesting thing, though. I could see there being some just people that are happy Corona is over if we're to that point. You know what I mean? If, if we get through next spring and and things are as bad as they look like they're going to be here through the next several months in terms of socialization and us going out into public, it feels like once football gets back next fall, if we're allowed back outside and go into events and stuff, people are going to show up to things no matter what to a certain extent. I don't so. know, man. I, I, I really, I'm kind of on the opposite tact of it. I know this is a separate topic. I, I'm kind of on the opposite tact of, I, I wonder if fans just don't get used to saying, watching this on TV is a lot easier. It's a lot cheaper. Um, you know, I'm kind of used to this. I kind of like this. I, well, that, that's, that's, been, my, that's been happening that's, for a while to the NFL to be well, given. So you're and that's my there. point. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm wondering. If then people want, once they get out of the habit of doing that, right. Maybe it's like, you know what? I, I really don't miss going. I, I went to the Kentucky game on Saturday and I found it delightful. Um, I, it's awful to say it, but we, we got a parking pass that we normally don't get because you have to, you know, 70,000 people. If you don't, if you don't have a regular parking pass, you're parking nine miles away. So they're giving you a parking pass with your tickets. So we parked right at the stadium, walked, you know, sat in the car and, and tailgated in the car. Cause you can't tailgate outside your car, but we hung inside my, my family and I, and um, had a good time with that. Went in, had a, had a, had a seat with nobody behind me, nobody in front of me, nobody around me really. And I found, I found it extraordinarily delightful. I'm like, man, sign me. If this is what it's going to cost, sign me up for this. I'll come to this every week if I can. Um, but I don't want to fight 70,000 people. And yeah, I know you can argue that I'm spoiled because I've got a parking pass for, for games I cover and I sit in a press box. And yes, I will agree with you. I, I don't find the fan experience all that enjoyable. Um, but I found Saturday enjoyable because it was easy. I'm with you. I hear you. I think there are a lot of things in life that have actually been improved by social distancing and and you know, some of the guidelines put in place by COVID protocols. But at the same time, there are a whole lot of dudes wearing tap out shirts, smoking cigarettes. They got to fight somebody on Sundays and those guys go to NFL stadium. So I think yeah. some of them will show up somewhere. I, yeah. The, it'll the, be going to be fascinating. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the other part is too, you know, economically are people going to be able to afford it too? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good question. Again, if they're affording all those tap outs t-shirts somehow, we'll see. Yeah. Good point. Um, <laughs> a lot of meth being sold. Yeah, that's right. Let's switch gears here. College basketball season is set to tip off next Wednesday, as we alluded to there when we were rambling 
when the show opened. That means this is the final time you guys will probably hear our voices before then. So we wanted to give our thoughts on the local teams. And Skinny, I will just kind of run down here. I kind of have some uh, rapid questions for you. Sure. And you've got Kentucky placed or picked second in the SEC behind Tennessee. NKU's picked third in the Horizon. Cincinnati picked fourth in the American. Xavier picked seventh in the Big East. Is there a team there based on whether it's where they're picked to finish or just kind of the public discourse that you've heard that is better than you think they're getting credit for and maybe one that's worse or do you feel like everyone's picked about right heading into the year? Yeah, I, I think about right. I, I think we mentioned it when we went through Xavier and you see the week that the, the, the Big East and the American had their uh, their media days and, and where they were picked. And um, I, I thought UC probably should be picked third but that's splitting hairs. Um, I think Xavier could have been picked anywhere from fourth to, to eighth. So um, I, I guess if, if we're going in the vein of the question, I would say Xavier probably just because that, that, that gap in the big East from three to nine is pretty narrow. Uh, maybe three to eight, I guess is, is pretty not three to nine. I'll go is pretty narrow. So I, you know, I think a lot of teams could fall into that. You know, you steal a, a road when you didn't think you'd be able to steal you, you, um, you know, you beat one of the better teams at home um, that, that maybe you didn't think you were going to win. And that I think that's the separator, you know, between a team going um, 12 and six, 11 and seven in the league. And well, actually we're playing 20 games this year, but going 12 and, in eight or 10 and 10. I mean, that difference to me or, or eight, 12 and eight or eight and 12 is, a, is really just a two game difference, a two win, two loss difference right there. Um, if you turn two losses into wins, go 12 and eight instead of eight and eight and 12. I mean, that, that could be the difference between third and, and ninth. So yeah, I'll go Xavier in my opinion, I guess, just because of that. Yeah. I think for one, just in the big East and the way they're going to be jumbled up like they are every year in the middle of the pack, it's obvious Xavier has the best chance to, overachieve here in terms of their preseason ranking. I think when you're actually looking at the big East rankings, the only team I'd say I'd look at and say, Hey, like Xavier could definitely be better than this team would be Marquette. Everybody else. I'm like, eh, I don't know that I'd pick Xavier ahead of them heading into the season necessarily. It's possible when things all shake down, they'll, they'll be ahead of them or there'll be a tie and Xavier has the tiebreaker or something. But for the most part, I feel pretty good about where they're picked. Um, NKU is interesting in terms of, they lost a lot. They're picked third in the Horizon League, and yet, strangely, they don't have a player on the all-league teams, first or second team, yet everyone has them picked to finish third after all they lost, which I find fascinating that Trayvon Faulkner somehow, who has played 20-plus minutes a game in both fresh his freshman and sophomore year, is not picked to be even a second-team all-league yeah. player, yet yeah. you think NKU is top three in the conference still. That is... That doesn't make logical sense to me. But then I also look at who's behind him, and I'm like, who would you place over NKU in the Horizon League? Like, maybe Robert Morris, who we don't know a ton about coming right. from the Northeast right. Conference. They've got a pretty good team, and I think Andy Tool's a good coach. Um, Oakland, maybe. They've got some transfers coming in. Uh, yeah, they're, 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 Williams. they're always kind of the renegade, right? I mean, you never know. Yeah, you never know. Right. Greg Campy can coach and they'll always have new faces. I mean, at yes, least the last yeah. few years. That's been yeah, the case. yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. No, it, it's funny. You talk about about that with with Trayvon Faulkner. I mean, and, and, you're, and you're and you're looking around and going, well, wait a minute. If, if 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 they're the third best team, why don't they have more players? I kind of equate that to, to looking at the NBA draft from last night and going, how in the world does Vanderbilt have two players drafted? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> It's a good I mean, question. I, 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 sometimes those are things you're like, man, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, but honestly, with NKU, it'd be one thing if you're like, oh, well, they have 
three veterans coming back and that's why, you know, they've just got a lot come back. But it's like, I, I guarantee you hardly anyone in the media or co- coaches can name NKU starting five coming into this year. Like the only guy they know on this team is Trayvon Faulkner. And that's pretty much it. Like, yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but um, I think sometimes that's also reputation, right? Is, is uh, NKU's kind of built a little cachet there where you're given a little benefit of the doubt, even if you don't know the players. I think that's exactly what it is. And then, like I said, the, the hard thing is I, when you, you start looking around, it's like, who is going to jump up there and take their place? It's hard to find somebody. I think that's the point NKU's gotten to in this conference. They just, they've earned that type of respect that even if we don't know exactly who's going to be good for them or who they're going to have, they're going to find their way towards the top of the conference. And I think they probably deserve that respect, even um, if, if it's not too certain heading into the season where they'll be. And I think they, they do have a lot of upside Um, Kentucky. It's interesting. You know, they're picked like 10th in the preseason polls nationally, but in the sec, they're placed behind Tennessee. You think that's just voter fatigue there more than anything, or do you think Tennessee's got the better team going in? I think probably have a little, I think Kentucky's upside is just enormous. I mean, I, I do. I, I think they've got a chance to be, to be great. Um, and, and I think if, again, some of the preseason stuff you're, you're voting on. Yeah. Down the road, but you're also kind of voting on the, the, the more of the known. And I guess for Tennessee, it's, it's more of the known. I don't think it's, I don't think it's voter fatigue. I, I think, I think if, if people thought Kentucky was clear cut the best, they'd, they'd vote them number one. Um, but I, I think, I think, I, I think this this class is really, really good, but it doesn't have that that I don't want to say front end cachet. It's not that group where you're like, damn, they got three top 10 NBA picks on it. Right. Um, and, and those are the teams that even though the cow was reloading, you, you know, people would vote them number one in the league because you just knew those guys were, were, were dudes and they were going to get it. I, I think in this case, it's some really, 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 really good players. But I think there's still a little bit of an unknown, but I think their upside is tremendous. Well, you're kind of mentioning, you know, the the combination of players Cal has this year. Like you have the the transfers and Olivier Saar and Davion Mintz coming in. You uh you have a guy like Keon Brooks who was there for a year already and expects to be a big part. And then you have the talented freshman as always, and BJ Boston might be the talent most talented he's had in a while. Who do you think Kentucky's best player is heading into the season? If you had to guess, honestly, probably BJ Boston. I mean, that's, that's my assumption, too. Finish this sentence. B.J. Boston will be the best U.K. freshman since blank. Who? Mm, boy, that's a good one. Um, mm-hmm. Man, oh, man, oh, man. They all run together. You want to hear my answer? Yeah, go ahead. I go Malik Monk. Okay, that's a good one. It's just hard for me to go. like, like putting, putting I, I anyone can't put anyone better him ahead, than I can't, Malik. Yeah, I can't put him ahead of Jamal Murray. Right. And th- th- that's where I get to. I get Malik Monk and Jamal Murray is kind of like my uh, separator. My point right now of demarcation. It's like if you're going to be a stud, those are the two guys where I feel like we're just putting too much pressure on you if we say you're going to be better than them. I mean, yeah, no, guys I, who average I, I, 19, 20 a game in freshman years. Yeah, special. Malik, Malik Monk is a good player, but Jamal Murray's a better player and was a better player. Yeah. Um, so One yeah, year before him, right? Yeah, that's Murray. a good line. Of, that's a good line of demarcation. I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. Oh, the other guy since, you know, I mean, you, you've got Tyler Harrows, but he really be kind, of, kind of splashed more in the NBA uh, than he did his first year. I, I admit it. I, I, told, I told you he, he underwhelmed me at Kentucky because I thought he was very reluctant to shoot the basketball and it was disappointing at times he was reluctant to shoot it. And I didn't think he's going to be an, a good NBA player. You did. I didn't. And he obviously was on a good team and a big part of a good team. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, but again, when you're talking about their freshman year at Kentucky, he's, you know, I expect PJ Boston to be more of a guy than Tyler hero was. If not UK, I think is going to have some, some troubles this year. And Um, and I will say Tyler hero's role was probably different because you had a a little bit of experience around him. um, And, and uh, this team in, in that regard doesn't. So, you know, Boston's going to probably have to do what we'll have to do more and be asked to do more. And, yeah. and maybe it's just not Tyler Hero's thing is maybe he is doesn't matter what level he's going to be a complimentary guy. I think there's something to that for sure. BJ Boston is not that. I mean, he is a dude. So uh, right. from day one, I think he's going to be the alpha there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that show. Let me move on to Xavier real quick. Is Xavier in trouble if Travis Steele misses or is Travis Steele in trouble rather if Xavier misses the tournament this year? I think this is such a weird year for everybody. Um, I, I'd say no, but at some point you, you got to make a tournament. I mean, you you just gotta. Um, and maybe maybe they come close this year, and it feels like they're they're taking steps forward. Again, we don't know how last year was going to shake out. I think we 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 think we have a, figured out what was going to happen with last year of not making the tournament. Um, yeah, in trouble. I, I just think this is one of those years where you're going to get a little bit of a pass, just how weird it is. I I, I just do. Yeah, and I, I've been on the record. We talked about this, you know, last season, I think, at times. And I think everyone gets caught up in the idea of you can't miss the tournament three years in a row at Xavier. You can't. And, you really shouldn't. Right. And that statement sounds very true, right? Like you would just say it with the success Xavier's had, there's no way that they're going to let coaches miss the tournament three years in a row. Um, but when you, but it doesn't feel like the program has slipped significantly either. That's the, that's the part it's, you know, sometimes when you see this happen, you start seeing 10 and twenties and 12 and 18s, and you haven't seen that you've seen them be close. Um, and I know close doesn't get it and, and you are measured on wins and losses, but it doesn't feel like there's, there's major slippage. Yeah. And I think that I agree with that. And I think, you know, if you feel the way basically I do about the way things have gone for Xavier, then you believe the idea that Travis Steele and his staff have done an okay job coaching to this point. I mean, they haven't really proven anything yet, but at the same time, like you said, I mean, they're in these games, they're fighting. They played some of the best defense Xavier's played in the last several years, maybe, you know, last decade, really uh, the last two seasons. So, I mean, he's done something with what he's had. And to me, the, the pieces didn't fit very well together. So now this year, the, the issue is you already had some guys that were holdovers. Offensively, it didn't work out because Chris Mack was never able to backfill the, the roster with a shooter, which is something he was trying to do towards the end of you know his tenure. And it just didn't work out recruiting wise. And then Steele wasn't able to, to bring in that guy on short notice once he got the job to pair with your athletes like Najee Marshall and Quentin Good and, and Tyreek Jones. So that they were in a tough spot roster wise, personnel wise, in terms of a team that just didn't fit. But now you get to this point, those guys are gone. You're now, you're kind of rebuilding almost this season. So while I think they're moving in the right direction and the shooting is going to be better this year and definitely more IQ and ball movement, they're playing a little bit different style with an open post this season. So I think offensively things will flow better and it'll look better, but you're also going to be relying on like two sophomores as your best scorers in Zach Freeman and Kiki Tandy. So there's going to be some bumps along the way. You're going to need some freshmen to step in and make some shots, a, a graduate transfer to come up from a lower level Gardner Webb and Nate Johnson and make some shots for you and play defense. So there's still a lot of question marks for this team. And, you know, 
definitely long-term, I think they're moving in the right direction, but this year may still be an adventure. So I think Travis, Ste- Travis Steele's seat will definitely be warm if they don't make the tournament after this year, you know, heading into yeah, year four, yeah. you, you, you definitely got some things to prove and you better make the tournament then. But because, well, because, it, because at that point you should have had your guys in there. Right. I mean, at that point, you're, you're, you're four recruiting classes deep or three recruiting classes deep, if you will. Right. Um, at that point, you need to have your guys in there and entrenched. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, there's after that point, it's definitely, you know, you're, you're in some hot water and you really need to prove something, but I don't think, you know, anyone who thinks that Travis Steele is seriously going to be in trouble, if they miss the tournament this year, I just don't think that is true. Rick, on, on a separate college basketball topic before you continue with this, um, I, I, I do want to ask, what do you think of home court advantage this year? We, we've seen in the NFL where, where it's pretty much, and I didn't look at the numbers after last week, but going into last week, uh, I believe home teams were one game under 500 in the NFL. And home field advantage in the NFL and college football, to me, is nowhere near as close as home court advantage in college basketball. Agreed. I think I think officials are clearly impacted by by the crowd and by by just the buzz of the crowd, uh, you know, uh, on every foul call. I truly think that they are affected by that. And, and that's human nature. I get that. And um, I, I just wonder with with such small crowds and really, in some cases, almost no crowd. How much do you think that affects? I know you can argue, well, yeah, they're shooting in their gym and and it's where they practice, but I truly think there is something to having that crowd in there affecting the way games are called. Oh, it's not just something. I mean, it's a huge part of it, at least half of what home court advantage is about. And I think most people would argue it's more than that because not only do you have what you mentioned with like the refs getting slightly biased by the crowd and everything, which has been proven to be a fact, um, but the your team i mean just the the momentum wave that you get i mean like think about the centos center you know the the thing xavier has done in that building versus when they're not in that building is is crazy and we've seen it with our own eyes i go back to like the georgetown game gosh maybe it was 2015 16 now i, I don't even remember it was early on when they first got there though the chris mack tenure they got down i don't know 20 points in the first half against georgetown and then stormed back in the second half and the decibels in that building when they were making the run in the second half to come back in that game and win it. I've really never seen anything like it except for when they beat Villanova, when Villanova was uh, number one in the country, you know, with the JP McKeer and Trayvon Blewett team. So it, it is a huge, huge thing to not have the fans there, but I think I believe more so than a lot of people that being in your gym that you shoot in every day, especially for the teams that like practice in their own, gym every day now, some teams you know they have their on-campus facility it's where they practice right, and then they right. go downtown to play or whatever that probably doesn't help you quite as much in my opinion but you know being in the quote-unquote friendly confines of what you're used to i think that's big for a team especially when it comes to shooting from the outside so i think it'll still matter a lot more in basketball being at home without fans than it does in football yeah, no, I, 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 I do. Um, and and I, I, I'll be interested to see the numbers as we go through it the first first couple of months. I, I think it'll be a telltale sign of of uh, how much this has affected home court advantage. And maybe that's where when we start talking about, you know, stealing wins and, and, and on the road. Maybe it comes becomes a little easier to steal that win that maybe you wouldn't have been able to go steal. I think that is a definite possibility, and and, and vice versa. Maybe then you you lose that that you know when you bring one game of those that should be a guarantee. In. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and in the Big East, that's going to be a big thing this year because every year, I mean, the the middle of the pack of the conference is kind of all just holding serve at home and losing on the road. And also now, if you have that mixed up a little bit more, teams start to you know maybe certain teams are better at being more even keeled when they're not at home and in the routine. That's that's going to be something to watch for certain. So, yeah, uh, interesting. 
let's get back to some of these rapid fire questions. I have a couple more for you. Does you see have enough firepower without Jaron Cumberland and Trey Scott? I don't know if firepower is the right word. I I, I do think they'll find the points. I I, I really do. It'll be different. I mean, honestly, and and this is going to sound awful because Jaron Cumberland was a talent. The ball just got stuck. I mean, and I I get why it got stuck. I mean, he, he was a individual talent, but sometimes that doesn't equate to, to wins and losses. Sometimes that actually is a detriment. And, and that's, I know that sounds weird because he was a, a real talent. Um, and Trey, Trey Scott was a, was just a great glue guy. Um, maybe a little bit better than that. That always gets thrown around pretty easily, but that, that to me, he's the quintessential glue guy. Um, I, I do. I, I think they'll find the points. I don't know if, uh, if they'll find the firepower because Cumberland could get your buckets in, 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 in waves, but he could also shoot you out of games and make bad decisions to get you out of games. I, I, I guess it's going to sound, I think they missed Jaron Cumberland less than they missed Trey Scott. I agree with that. I think there is, you know, there was a lot made out of the relationship between Jaron Cumberland and John Brandon last year. And, you know, by the end of the year, everything was, everything was over. I think all parties were kind of saying like, everyone had it wrong. We had such a great relationship and we were always on the same page and we just wanted to win and whatever. And that may be, I think, you know, I think they definitely have respect for each other and everything and, and they were close, but there's zero question that Jaron Cumberland was not at his best last year under John Cumberland. I mean, it just, that's the way it was. He did not give John Brandon the same type of effort and performances that he'd given Mick Cronin prior to that. And um, I think you're right. I think they, to a certain extent, there'll be a little addition by subtraction, especially for the way that John Brandon wants to play and move the basketball. When you that's saw the thing, the way they want to move the basketball with that motion. I mean, they just, they, it's yeah. just what he wants to do. Everybody gets touches. Everybody gets opportunities. Everybody's got a chance to, to take their guy off the bounce or create something for themselves or create something for each other. I think for Jaron, the ball got stuck and he was creating for himself mostly. Yeah. It, it, well, and you know, it's just such a stark contrast to the way that Mick played because Mick was a lot of put the ball in that one guy's hand, especially, you know, in Jaron's hand or in Sean Kilpatrick's hand and kind of isolate them and let them do their thing and, and run sets for them. And it's the ball stuck a lot intentionally in Mick's offense. It was more of like an NBA style deal. And when John Brandon, when he got to NKU, they were outside the top 250 in assist rate, right? The his very first year there, you know, the next year they had jumped like a hundred spots. They were in the top 150 in assist rate. The next year they were top 75 in the country in assist rate. And his his final year there, that really good team that he had, they were like top 10 or top 15 in the entire country, I believe, in assist rate, assist to field goals made. And that that that's how he wants to play. He needs the ball to ping around and and to get it swinging and guys shooting a lot of threes. So they're moving more towards that style. I think you've already seen with some of his recent comments that he's excited to play faster than they played last year. He doesn't want to slow it down. He doesn't want to let it stick with one guy. He had to do that a little bit more because of the team they had, and he needed to get the ball in the post some. But I think with you know the freshman point guard Mikey Saunders, who's really quick, you pair him with David Julius, the transfer from Michigan, and Keith Williams, and you have a, a backcourt and some guys on the wings who really have some athleticism and, and some scoring abilities. So I'm interested to see what he does with a, a team that looks more like what he prefers. Yeah. I, it will not shock me to see them score five to seven points a game more. It won't. And that's taking a big score off your team. So what does that tell you? Yeah. Well, you're, and I mean, really trace, right. Trey Scott ended up being a big scorer last year because they needed him to be, but yeah, I mean, it's, it'll, I think they're kind of in a similar situation to Xavier potentially where 
they're moving in the right direction and, and towards a place where John Brandon wants to be moving towards uh, things that will look better and more comfortable, but they still may have some bumps along the way because, you know, they, they may not have all the talent in just yet. And, and some of his young guys still probably need to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But when you're in the American, you can get away with some of that a little bit easier too. So, you know, I mean, there's a reason they're picked fourth in the conference, despite having all those unknowns. Yeah. Like I said, I, and I and just to pick nits, I, I think I would, I would have voted him third. So there you go. What do you think NKU will do this year for points without Walton Sharp and Tate? I, I think that that is a factor for them. Um, I think it's a, it's a great unknown because the, the, I mean, you had just a little bit of everything with those guys. You had a slasher, you had a, an outside shooter. You had a, a guy who was an outside shooter that could, get you 30 on a, on a given night and Tyler Sharp. Um, I, I think they are the ones that, that need to, to, to find some answers for points. And, and that, that to me is not going to be easy. I mean, you lost a lot of firepower. Yeah. They're obviously going to ask Trayvon Faulkner to take on a much bigger role this year. And I think he can do more scoring, but they're going to need him to shoot the ball better from the outside. I like he's under 30% last year um, on like, I think two and a half attempts per game. If he can shoot a little bit better, I think he can help him be more of a focal point offensively. Otherwise, right, they're going can, to have can, to get some outside shooting to go yeah, with can, him. Can, yeah, but can he do what Tyler Sharp did when they were dealing with those injuries and literally single-handedly keep you in games? No. I mean, that's right. that's the thing. They don't have a guy like that this year. There's there's no question. They don't have a, a, a Sharp or a Walton who could take over and score 30 like that as an individual. Faulkner is much more of an energy guy, an athlete, a defensive guy. He's going to be the heart that drives them all over the court more than just scoring, but they're going to need him step up in a major way scoring. I, I tell you what, I, I mean, I'm fascinated to see the young guys on young guys on this team. You've got three freshmen that I think are all going to contribute right away. And all three of them are scorers um, to varying extents. Trey Robinson, a local kid, Marquez work, uh, a Kentucky kid from Lexington. And then David Baum, a kid from Czech Republic who, you know, taller than I expected him to be very skilled, all three of those guys, I think, are going to make an immediate impact for the Norris. I think they'll get some scoring and some shooting from those guys. And then, you know, Darius Harding, the Juco transfer, we've talked a little bit about on yep. here. He gives them something they just haven't had, a big physical 6'5 wing. You know, anytime you're, you're coming up from that Juco level, there's a transition, and he's going to have to learn to buy into playing hard on both ends of the court and all that stuff and playing within a system. But he gives them a, a wing and an athlete that they haven't really had in the program since they've been at the division one level. And then finally, John Harge, the, the red shirt freshman who sat out last year, a six, eight guy who can score a little bit uh, and protect the rim. Some too. I'm interested to see what he brings. So there's a, a lot to like for this young NKU team, but a lot of question marks for them too. So kind yeah, of I mean, seems to be the way for all the, the local teams. this yeah, year. Yeah. I, 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 and I think that that's going to be fun to watch it unfold. Definitely. Unfortunately, we're we're getting a weird year and it may be a choppy season where they don't get to do things as regularly as you would like. But uh, nonetheless, it'll be a fun basketball season, I think. I, I, I chuckle at what you said, because I'm, I'm sitting here. I have I have a TV on in the background, just kind of watching as we're talking. And, and uh, it's, it's it's one of the ESPNs. And um, I swear I've seen in the last 10 minutes, two football games get canceled. Uh, college games. I mean, that's that's the kind of year I'm, I'm just I just wonder how it's going to be with the indoor sport. I, I really do. I think it is going to be a choppy season. Yeah, I don't think anyone doubts that at all. In fact, I'm kind of waiting for them to just tell us uh, we're going conference only and we're going to whack these these early non-conference games off the slate. Yeah, so. Rick, I, I, you know what's funny about that? I, I've been thinking that too, and I guess you can do it after the weekend concludes. I would have thought if you were going to do that, you'd have started doing that by now. 
I did too. So, I mean, I, I keep holding my breath, but it feels like we're, as we get closer and closer that this thing is real and we're going to try it at least. So um, that's good. We'll take it. I mean, like I said, you know, as a high school, but we were supposed to start high school games next week and, and we get the word on a Wednesday that, that your season's pushed back. So, I mean, it can come at any time, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll have you remember the uh, conference tournaments so the way those played out. Yeah, those were pretty point. abrupt. So I was, uh, Hey, I was, I was in Hollywood making my plays as I'm watching the games come off the board. One, in fact, I remember a guy sitting next to me goes, what happened to that game? What I got? What happened to that game? I got, Oh no. And I kind of looked up and I'm looking at the board and I'm just watching them pop off one by one. I said, fellas, I think they're shutting it down. Yeah. I had a few uh, conference future picks that I just so did cashed I. in. The, this <laughs> this past week that never played out. <laughs> I got my money back. Good insurance policy. Yeah, yeah, it was. I got like uh, you know about a hundred bucks that I totally there you go. forgot. There you about. go. Um, I, I got another topic here on the college basketball side of things, real quick. Wichita State coach Greg Marshall resigned Tuesday following an investigation into allegations of verbal and physical abuse. Marshall came under scrutiny when former player Shaq Morris claimed he'd been struck twice by his coach during an October 2015 practice. Morris also claimed that he'd seen Marshall choke coach. Kyle Linstead, who soon departed to become an assistant at Minnesota. Marshall denied any accusation that he had struck a player or choked an assistant, though five players told the Wichita Eagle they saw him hit Morris during the 2015-16 season. Eight other players told the Eagle they saw him put his hands around Linstead's throat during the 2016-17 season. The school said Marshall agreed to a settlement of $7.75 million to be paid over the next six years for his resignation. Skinny, what were your thoughts on the way Greg Marshall's saga played out at Wichita State? Again, I'm going to play a little ignorance to this because I'm trying to figure out that if you had just cause to fire him, which it sounds like you did, how then you come to a settlement of $7.7 million. And again, I guess you can allow him to resign, but I mean, it sounds like you had pretty good cause just to whack him. And I can't imagine then if you'd whacked him for cause that, that you would owe him a nickel. Again, I'm going to plead ignorance because I did not read all the all the terms of how he got his 7.7 mil, Rick, but that sounds... That sounds ludicrous to me. Well, it, it just goes to show. So you hang how- on. So, so, so I can go punch a player, um, have people witness it, choke out a coach and still get a seven point, still sit on my ass for six years and make one mil a year. Sign yeah, me up. This is I'll where go I punch. I'll go. I'll, you, you can join my staff, Rick, and, <laughs> and I'll punch you. And then I'll I'll punch one of the players and then I'll get my money and go sit down at that. OK, great. I'll, I'll take a punch for uh, maybe, I don't know, the point seven five of that seven point. Okay, okay, there you go. Yeah, I mean, honestly, again, help me out with this because I'm what, what am I missing? Well, I think to me, this is where the ridiculousness of our justice system comes to light, because basically and I think they're right about what they're saying. Like, I don't think their loyal lawyers and the legal experts that break this type of stuff down are are complete morons. I think they know what they're doing here. And the, and the fact of the matter is, is if they get off, they're able to pay the 7.75 million out over the next six years. So they're paying, you know, one point something a year, right? Uh, one and a third million a year, whatever it is that t- you're, you're going to hire a coach for two point something, probably maybe even less at this point, if you're Wichita state hiring yeah, a new coach. So you're probably getting out from under it for less than what you were going to be paying Greg Marshall every year for the duration of that contract. And the way his contract work, it worked is every, I think it was like winning season or something they had, or maybe it was they just every it over. year. Yeah. It was a rolling thing for seven years. So he was scheduled to make seven years of, but, but you didn't know, you have three point five million, but basically you had cause to fire him. Though. Well, and, and that's what I was just getting to. That's the thing to me where it's like in our legal system to me, how, when you come under fire to where you have several people, admitting to a newspaper on the record that you did something like this. 
how it would not be just cause to fire someone when their job is to be in the public eye and recruiting and all of those types of things. To me, that would seem like the the only reason you're going to fire a a head coach in basketball, but with the, the uh, buyout clauses that they have in their contracts, it sounds like just the legal fight and everything they'd have to go through. And there's no guarantee that they win unless Marshall basically admits guilt here because it's pretty much a, he said, she said, even though there's eight, he said, she says um, in, in this case, that's the way it works. It's just to them, it's easier and costs less money and stays out of the public eye. If they settle it for one point something a year for the next six years and it sucks, but that's where I'm just like, if that's not just cause to fire a coach, I don't understand how you could ever get just cause shy of them admitting guilt to something or killing a player. Yeah, I mean, you know, but then I feel like they'd have you know, to admit did, guilt to that. It's like if you, it, if they have to go to trial, we don't know. We can't fire him for cause. There, we don't know. You know, you did you did kill the point guard, but we'll give you a little parachute if you'll just go away. Yeah, you, you had a smoking gun in your hand, but but uh, no technically, one, no one in the courtroom saw you do it. So right, I mean, oh my heavens! Well, you know, it gives him a, a, a good amount of money for him and his wife to booze it up over the next six or seven years. Have a oh good time. my God, can you imagine what she is going to do when they open Oof. up the uh, the all inclusive again? <laughs> <laughs> holy cow all right maybe, key to that cruise maybe, line maybe that's why he is so angry yeah they're gonna have to close it down to disinfect now, here, it again after they're on it here's my next question for you my friend will he be a head coach somewhere again it's great that's a great question uh because i will say this, I, th- I think we will agree with this he is a good basketball coach yeah yeah i, I don't think there's any doubt about that I think he was losing it a little bit towards the end. I think I that was too. very much clear by what was going on with his roster. But I, how old is Greg Marshall? He's not as old as I think he is. I'd say early 50s. I'm looking it up right now. I'll say, I'll say 52. 57. So he actually okay. is about as old as I thought he was. I was thinking he was close to 60. Um, I was thinking maybe it was one of his sneaky guys who looked really old but wasn't. At 57, I don't know, man, because I think it's going to be Jerry, Jerry Tarkanian got a lot of chances. Rick Pitino's getting another chance. I mean, it, it just it feels like time heals a lot of Kelvin Sampson got another chance. I mean, and he, feels, and he like, feels like a guy who won't be able to let it go. Right. Like, I mean, he's, he's going to want to do this, even if it's at some low level, which that'll be his opportunity. It'll be a low level. Yeah. Elon or something along. the. Yeah. 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 I, I can or see maybe it. I'll replace Pat Kelsey at Winthrop when, uh, Here, there you go. when Pat when, Kelsey replaces Travis Steele. Yeah. What? And then and turn, then turns it down on the podium. <laughs> all right switching sorry gears here sorry with, about that <laughs> with monday's announcement that former reds third baseman scott Rowland is one of the 25 players on the ballot for the baseball hall of fame skinny you posted a column on local12.com about the top five players with reds ties who are hall of fame worthy i wanted to run down the list with you and ask you a few questions if, if you don't mind and sure um the number five on your list was buddy bell give me your reasoning here um, he is actually um, just barely below the Hall of Fame criteria for third baseman. I need to call that story up because I've got some criteria in there for it. Um, you know, he's one of those guys, unfortunately, Rick, who was never considered a great player in his era, um, but a very, very good one. He was a terrific third baseman. Um, I can remember when the Reds traded for him, and and uh, I still this call still resonates with me. He went through this ridiculous stretch of of defense where he was just making plays left and right. And so one night I'm listening to the game on the radio and, and this will tell you how good. And I think I used this as a, as a Marty tribute last year, but I can remember it was a, it was something along the lines. Here's a smash bell diving, stopping, getting up, throwing, got him. And it's like, I could picture it. And then I saw the highlight that night. It's like, 
that's an incredible play. He just went through a stretch where he was incredible. But based on, on a thing called Jaws, which is a rating system that a sabermetrician developed to measure a player's Hall of Fame worthiness, Buddy Bell is the 15th best third baseman in Major League history. And in war, which we know about war, wins above replacement, he ranks 13th among third basemen in MLB history. The only guys ahead, ahead of him who are not in the Hall of Fame are Adrian Beltre, who um, probably will get in when he is eligible. He's not yet eligible. Um, Scott Rowland, who we will get to here in a moment, we just talked about, and Craig Nettles, um, who was extremely underappreciated. He didn't have a very good batting average, but played for a long time on winning teams. I mean, he helped San Diego get to a World Series. He was on World Champions with the Yankees. Uh, he walked a lot, terrific defensive third baseman, hit home runs, but only had a 248 career batting average. And the other one is Ken Boyer, who was the MVP in 1964 with the Cardinals. That's it. Four guys ahead of him are not in the Hall of Fame. I think he certainly there's a case to be made. Um, would I vote for him? I don't know, but I think there's a case to be made. Okay, so you got Veda Pinson at four, and I don't I don't want to jump him, but I I kind of want to talk about Scott Rowland here because you have Scott Rowland sure? at yeah, three. Yeah. Yes, is Scott Rowland kind of in the same boat as that the yes. Bell thing you mentioned, where it's like he was really good for a long time, but never really considered like one of the best players of his era. Yes. And I think that that's where it goes in. And, and, and you know, again, I'm, I'm making a case here. I'm not telling you, I think all these guys I would vote for, but I, I thought it was at least interesting to put five, you know, five is always a good number. Three sometimes is a good number. So I did five. Um, yeah. Roland's the 10th best third baseman by jaws and by war. And there's only one person ahead of him, not in the hall of fame. And that's Adrian Beltre, who, like I said, I think will be in the hall of fame. Um, but you know, you start to do that. Then I'm not comparing, Scott Rowland to other players. I'm just comparing him and Buddy Bell to guys at their position. So is there, is there simply just a cutoff point where, look, sorry, you may be one of the best in your position, but you're not one of the best to play. And, and to me, that's where the hall of fame always gets dicey. I'm just a big believer that I had to remember you as a great player in your era for you to be in. No offense. I don't recognize Tony Perez as a great player in his era. I don't recognize Dave Concepcion as that either. I don't. I, re I recognize them as really good players in their era. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, but the same thing for Buddy Bell and Scott Rowland. I always thought of them as really good players, but I'd never go, man, those guys were great. They should be in meh. the hall to me is, is there's just something about it that, a select few should be in it. And it feels like they they continue to water it down with different era guys getting in um, again, no knock on either one. I, you know, I'm making my case here in this column for, for both of them, but it's not the hall of good. It's the hall of fame. It's the hall of great. Um, and I just don't know if either one of them make the cut, but again, based on some of my criteria, you can make a case for them. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that's easy to do. Like, I mean, they put up great numbers for so long that the stats are there to an extent. And, I think that's important to mention, though, that especially with baseball, it's the stats change, you know, throughout the eras right. of baseball. They they go through cycles and the game changes a bit and different eras did different things. And and, you know, where you got the juiced ball era, the steroids era and all that stuff. So the stats kind of go through waves to a certain extent. I think you have to factor that in. And to me, I totally agree with you. The narrative matters for this stuff, like a guy who just accumulates stat. It's like Frank Gore for instance, in football, right? He's going to have like every record or should have almost every record. And I always comes... thought of him as a good player, not a great player. Right. And and like maybe you give him a Hall of Fame jacket because he's just played for so damn long and the longevity deserves it. But he's never been one of the best five running backs in the NFL. 
at any point during his career. No, I'm, I'm trying to think if, if, you know, going back to your you know fantasy football days, I can't remember Frank Gore ever being a high draft pick, right? No, I mean, he's I mean, a good, solid player. Yeah, he was in the mix for, for a few years there during the primes when the running back thing, everyone was, you know, drafting all the running backs at the top. And uh, it, he, yeah, he's never been that guy to me. And I think it's the same thing with Scott Rowland is, is a perfect example on the baseball side. And sort of, you know, I didn't see Buddy Bell as as much, it, not really my era, but reading your description of him, I felt, man, that seems kind of like the Scott Rowland situation to me. And I yeah, don't it really, think it really is. one are probably Hall of Famers. Um, get, get to Veda Pinson, though. What was your your case for Veda Pinson? Veda Pinson is really under, underappreciated. I think part of, un, unfortunately for him, is, again, he falls into that, was really good, and he played uh, in a chunk of his career with, with Frank Robinson alongside, and Frank Robinson is a Hall of Famer and was a Hall of Famer and passed the eye test as a Hall of Famer. And so sometimes you get overlooked by that. But uh, per Jaws, he's the 19th best center fielder in Major League history, 21st best according to war, um, and he ranks ahead in, in both of those categories ahead of the following center fielders who are in the Hall of Fame, Kirby Puckett, the great Larry Doby, Max Carey, Earl Averill, Earl Combs, Ed Roush, Hack Wilson, Lloyd Wainer, Hugh Duffy. A lot of people that don't know many of those names, but you know Kirby Puckett, right? Yep. He's ahead of them. He's ahead of Kirby, Kirby Puckett in both categories. He ranks 56th all-time in career hits, and sometimes that's a watered-down category, I know, but there's only nine players ahead of him who aren't in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose, who we'll get to in a minute, he's ineligible. Ichiro Suzuki's not yet eligible. Beltre, Barry Bonds and Rafael Palmero. we know why they're not in yet. Johnny Damon, who also fits into that kind of really good player, but not good enough. Omar Vizquel, who's not yet eligible. Miguel Cabrera, who's still active, and Albert Pujols is still active. Um, that's pretty good company. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought Veda Pinson's case was interesting reading it there. I was honestly a little surprised you had Scott rolling over him at, at third instead of four. Was, there, yeah, uh, just, was that a tough I, call for you? It was, and I think just because when you look at Scott Rowland, there's literally just one guy ahead of him not in the Hall of Fame at his position, that's Beltre, who will be. So then suddenly if Beltre's in, he's the next guy on the list, right? I mean, that would be a guy yeah. you go, I mean, if these guys are in, what, what, this guy's darn close. Let's get him in. So that's why Scott Rowland gets the slight nod ahead of Ada Pinson. All right, so Scott Rowland was third. And this next name it drew an eyebrow raised for me, and then I read your description. I said, you know what? That makes a lot of sense to me, too. You had Joe Nuxall at number two. Yeah, not as a player, obviously. And, and he had a good career. I mean, don't get me wrong, but uh, but no, as, as a broadcaster. Um, as great as I think Marty Brenneman is, and, and he's arguably one of my I, – I always feel blessed to have grown up in an area where I could listen to Kaywood Ledford uh, do Kentucky football and basketball games. And, and for those that think that's a homer call, Kaywood Ledford did a lot of uh, NCAA tournament championship games. That's how good people thought Kaywood Ledford was. So I always felt blessed to have grown up listening to, to Kaywood Ledford and, and to Marty Brenneman. And, but Marty Brenneman to me was Marty and Joe. And I, I just, I think, I think that was such a great team that with Marty in, I, I think Joe should be in, but did it for a long time. Did it well. Was he technically sound? No, but he certainly was Reds radio. He certainly made Reds radio. Marty was the technical play-by-play guy. And Joe had to do his few innings. And, you know, Joe could occasionally call left, right, center with the best of them when a fly ball was in the air because he'd get confused. But uh, to me, uh, there, there, was, there was no Marty without Joe and there was no Joe without Marty. And I think with Marty and Joe should be in. Are those, t- I, I know it's, it's big because it's our area and I know other cities have their duos for sure. But did you feel like, you know, Marty and Joe were more about the team and the duo than most famous broadcasters. Yeah. The only other ones, and, and granted, some of this is I, I could pick these games up on the radio too, but, but Mike Shannon and, uh, and Jack Buck in St. Louis, uh, yeah. You get, you, yeah, those two yeah. together, I, I think were, were, 
kind of close to that. I know in LA you had Ross Porter and, and, and Vin Scully, but Vin did a lot of games by himself. Yeah. That's uh, the thing. When people talk about Vin, it's always Vin by himself. You never hear, yeah. you know, yeah. And uh, Ross Porter did games for a long time, but, but yeah, but, but you mean, never hear like Vin that. and Ross, you know, I mean, it's no, always Marty and Joe, even outsiders. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think if there's any other place where, where there is that. I mean, you know, I think of the Detroit Tigers. I think of Ernie Harwell. I think of Seattle Mariners. I think of Dave Niehaus. I don't think of Dave Niehaus and Rick Riz or whoever others partners were. Um, you, you just don't, you don't, you don't think of those guys and you really yeah. don't hear about those guys. You, you just don't. Um, you know, I grew up in, when I grew up, I didn't grow up in New York. I lived in New York for three years when I was young and, and we would get games on, on WOR and it was Lindsey Nelson, uh, Ralph Kiner and, and Bob Murphy. And Bob was kind of the third wheel to that. It was really Lindsay and, and Ralph. And, and I think both are in the hall of fame, I believe is probably here. I know Lindsay is for sure. Um, uh, so, so I thought of those guys as a group, but yes, I mean, for, for, and, and yeah, I think we are biased around here. No question for Marty and Joe, but it was, it was, it was them. It wasn't just Marty Brennan. It was Marty and Joe. Well, and right up until the final days of Marty Brennan's career, I remember, you know, you would see like those national broadcasts on TV or whatever, and they would show, a pan over to the Reds radio booth and oh, there's Marty Brenneman and, you know, Marty and Joe talking about his former partner, Joe, who's no longer here. And, right. you know, not even talking about who's in the booth with him at that time. And it's like, that was to the, the final days of his career long after Joe was off the air. I, that, that is pretty special. And I don't think there are many other duos, if any, that ever had that type of connection that people knew about so well. I think that uh, you made a great case there. Joe Nuxall should be a baseball hall of famer for his, for his broadcasting career. No doubt about it. Uh, Pete Rose was number one. Makes a lot of sense here. Uh, anything you want to add to the Pete Rose case? Yeah, I, I just I think it's so silly that, that that they have to have him reinstated to baseball to be allowed to be voted in. I've always thought that's the dumbest damn thing ever. Um, look, we can separate the two things, in my opinion. You, 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 his on-field accomplishments speak for themselves, and that's what this should be all about, period, end of story. I think it's just silly that he has to be Look, I don't think he should be reinstated to baseball. I don't think he should ever be employed by baseball. And I think he he committed the cardinal sin in baseball. Um, but that doesn't diminish what he did on the field. I've always thought that's just the silliest damn thing. And, and it's a shame that he's not in. And to me, it's a shame he's going to die not getting in. All right. Who, who was the hardest to leave off the list, in your opinion? I'm, I'll tell you, believe it or not, it's impossible to compare eras. Tony Mullane who pitched before the turn of the century. Uh, that would be before the turn of the 20th century, in case you're wondering. Um, pitched, back in the 18, pitched back in the 1800s. I always loved the nickname, the Apollo of the Box. Don't we all want to be the Apollo of the Box? That was my nickname in college. I'm sure it was. Um, he's ranked 38th all-time among starting pitchers in Jaws, 41st in war, and there's only five non-active pitchers. And actually, some of these are not active ahead of him. Five non-active pitchers above him in Jaws that are not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, non-active pitchers. Roger Clemens, we all know why he's not in yet, and he's getting closer. Kurt Schilling, who almost got in last year, and three other 19th century pitchers. It's pretty good company for the Apollo with a box. It's <laughs> a great nickname. That's a really good that, that nickname is Hall of Fame. I know that. I know that. That's exactly right. Uh, that's, that's exactly right. When, when you were ranking the the five that you had in, was it uh, – Veda Pinson, Scott Rowland was the hardest decision or what was the. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, like I said, I put Rowland just because, you know, there's only one guy ahead of him, not in the hall. And, and that to me pushed him, pushed him ahead. Um, and then the other two, I mean, Pete's a no brainer in my opinion. And, and Nuxie, I think is a no brainer as a broadcaster. Those were an easy one, two for me. Uh, Buddy was probably a right at fifth. And yeah, the three, four guys were probably the toughest one. And the only reason I go with Rowland is just because 
Um, like I said, by, by the time Adrian Beltre gets inducted, there's Scott Rollins next on the list at his position. Pretty does good he, company. Does, does he deserve to get in, Rollins? And then, yeah, me saying that, and then I'll say, no, I probably don't think so. And I don't yeah, think he I will agree. get in either. He got, he got 35% of the vote last year, which kept him on the ballot. Um, I think it was the fourth highest of the returnees, maybe fifth highest of the returnees back to the ballot. Uh, Schilling and Clemens were closer to the top. I think they were one and two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I just don't think there's, there's – like I said, I think for anybody that, that remembers Scott Rowland as a player, remembers, man, really good player, never great. I would agree with that. All right, let's get to our betting segment where we were terrible once again last week, both of us with the losing five and seven record. And it was hilarious mm. because we picked pretty opposite when we were picking all the games and somehow we still ended up with the exact same record. Um, I am now 48, 63 and three on the year, just miserable. You have dropped to 57, 53 and three. So still above 500. Not by much. Not, Not enough by to much, turn a profit. That would that would actually be with with uh, with the vig. I would be under five hundred uh, monetarily. I'd be underwater just a hair. That is right. So that brings us to our Thursday night game, eight twenty p.m. You've got Cardinals at the Seahawks. The Seahawks are a three point favorite. The total is fifty six and a half. Uh, interesting game here. Very interesting game. Wherever Carlos Dunlap goes, losing follows. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, they're 0-2 since he came there. It's a fact. Coincidence? It's a Coincidence? fact. Coincidence? I think not. Um, that said, I, I I love Seattle here. I, I think that they bounce back in a, in a, in a big way. Um, you know, Arizona, it, it, I mean, they should be 5-4. and four. They're, they're not because of the great play by DeAndre Hopkins, but they should be 5-4. and four. They I know everybody now, you know, they are, they are tied for first in the AFC, in the NFC West. I just don't think they're quite there as a, as a playoff caliber team. Seattle obviously has its defensive issues and Russell's been terrible the last two weeks. I will say, I, th I think some of that is the last week. I think the Rams are just really getting their act together at the right time, especially defensively. I'm going to tip, tip that last week to, I, I mean, I loved the Rams last week, loved them. Um, and they came through in a, in a big way for me. So um, I, I think that was more the Rams defensive personnel than anything else. And, and Russell wasn't very good. Um, I think Russell gets right in this game. I, I think Seattle rolls. I'll go Seattle 41-27. You say 41-27? So Seattle and the over. Yeah, Seattle and the over. I, uh, I'm i with you on the Russell thing. Um, they the Seahawks are – are struggling. They need the win. You know, it feels like they've kind of got their backs up against the wall a little bit right here. Um, Arizona five and zero against the spread in its last five games at Seattle, but they're one and four straight up. And this is basically a straight up situation with such a, such a small spread. So, um, you know, I, I think you got two talented offenses here. The Cardinals yep. have a good defense. The Seahawks don't really. Um, and this was a shootout the last time they played 37, 34 Cardinals. So, um, I'm just going to say that the Seattle needs this one though. I'm going Seattle and the under in this one. So Seattle 28, Arizona 24 is my wow. total score here. Wow. They're going to hold Arizona to 24. They, they need it. You know, they, yeah, they need a big win here and I, I don't think they're going to get it done if their defense plays the same way it's been playing. So it's going to, if they're going to win the game, they're going to have to get some stops. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right, but man, I, I just it just feels it just has the shootout feel to it, does it not? Yeah, well, it certainly was last time, so I'm I'm gonna say it, they, it changes up this time around, and 56 and a half is a decent total to get to, also. So, 
Um, Saturday at noon, we've got number nine, Indiana at number three, Ohio state, the Buckeyes 20 and the hook, the total 66. I've read a couple of things this week where, where for some people that Ohio state is their best bet of the week. And I'm just scratching my head with it. Um, look, Ohio state's going to score. We've, we've, that, that part's been proven. I think I've said, I think they get 40 on anybody, but Indiana can score too. And I just don't believe in this Ohio state defense. Um, I do think the Buckeyes win. I think you're not going to be biting your nails if you're an Ohio State fan, but I think you're going to be biting your nails significantly for the cover. I'm going to go Ohio State 42, Indiana 28. So um, it'll be Indiana in the over for me in that one. All right, Indiana and the over for you. Uh, I think the big the big play here is the over. I don't love Ohio State minus 20 and a half. Now, granted, I'm probably going to bet that number, but I don't feel great about it. I thought it was really high and a lot, kind of disrespectful to Indiana. But, it, but it's funny, Rick. It's it's kind of stayed there. It hasn't really vacillated all week. That, that's been the surprise to me. I thought you'd get a little action on that one way or the other. Well, I I think that's the you know the public loves betting Ohio State always. Ohio State has yep. such a big fan base that they always get a lot of money, so their lines are always exaggerated a bit. And I think a lot of people woke up, saw that twenty and a half, and said it's a great number to take Indiana at an Indiana team that's playing really really well and has. You know, it's not a fluke thing this at this point with Indiana. They've won four Big Ten games. Yeah, and it, you it, may it, say it, Penn it, State it, stinks, it, and you may right, say, I was just say that's that's the thing. It isn't a fluke thing. I'm agreeing with you, but it's also this isn't the Penn State we think that they are, and this isn't the Michigan that we think that they right. are, and so that factors in too. Yeah, they've beaten some bad teams, but it's still four Big Ten win. It's not you know, it's not just the the opening week fluke. No, you're right. Time win against Penn yeah. State. They've proven that they're a solid football team that can definitely score some points. And with this Ohio State defense, the backdoor cover is a major factor. I've been talking about it all year. You saw it happen once um, already to them. Any uh, again, the over is the big play. Indiana has hit the over in three out of four games so far. OSU has hit the over once, missed it by a point once, and pushed on it once. So they've been all over the number as well. There's a ton of public money on the over already. I'm going to go Ohio State 49. Indiana 28. So they just cover Ooh, man. the hook and uh, and hit the over. Wow. Saturday three. We've got a great slate of local games. By yes, the way. we do, man. And it's a, a good Saturday for me to not have anything to do. Yes, it is. Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Cincinnati at Central Florida. The Bearcats are five and a half point favorites. Sixty three and a half is the total. This opened it uh, at, uh, at what? Four and a half, I think. Yeah, four and a half was the opening. So, it, so, so it's gone up. Um, look, UC has done nothing to this point to make me think they're not the dominant team in that league. Um, yeah, none of their wins have been fluky. None of their wins have been anything other than dominant over some good teams along the way. I mean, I think SMU's pretty good. I know they lost to Tulsa. I also think Tulsa's pretty good, and that's going to be a hell of a challenge for the Bearcats in two weeks. Uh, I think this UC defense is is good enough to 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 get stops. And and you know, I, I said that in the SMU game. I was thinking, get enough stops, let your offense get enough going. No, they 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 completely dominated SMU. I don't think they dominate UCF. I think UCF is the best offensive team in this league by a long shot. And that's including some other good offensive teams, but this UC defense will get some stops. Uh, I'm going to go Bearcats 31 UCF 23. So UC, and I think it goes way under, I think UC controls the clock controls the game and gets the stops it needs. I think they get the cover and they get the under. All right. So 31, 23 UC and the under the only game UC hasn't covered was South Florida. The spread was 22 in that game. They won by 21. 
I said ECU was an all-in game last week at 26 and a half. If they cover it, you got to ride them the rest of the year, regardless uh, of what yeah, the number I, gets to. And Rick, I thought that was it. a trap game. I, I thought not a trap game to lose, but I thought that was certainly a trap game where they weren't going to get the cover and they dominated. Everyone felt that way. It was a huge number. I didn't feel good taking it, but I said, look, they've done us so well so far this season that we've been riding them. You got to, you got to take them in this situation because I did think they were going to smack East Carolina 26 and a half have felt like a lot, but after they covered that, I'm in on them. It's like Ohio state last year. I'm betting them every week until they prove me wrong, regardless how big the spread gets. The fact that this is only five and a half, you have to take UC no matter what. And to be honest with you, I think they smack UCF too. I don't think this is going to be that close. I'm going UC 42 UCF 17. So that's Bearcats and uh, it stays under the number. Yeah, I, I really like the under here. I know that sounds crazy because of how good UCF is offensively, but I, I, I do. I love the under here. I mean, but UC's defense just I know it. doesn't give up touchdowns. Like Agreed. They and, I, and I think they'll be able to control the ball on the ground, which is going get, to get some clock running. Yeah. I mean, un- unless the offense really you know turns the ball over a few times or something and puts UCF in great position, I don't see them giving up a lot of points in this Agreed. game. And, and I Agreed. don't think UC's going to you know throw the ball enough to, to put up more than – you know, 42 seems like a lot to begin with. So anyway, uh, s- Saturday, 4 p.m., we've got Kentucky at Alabama. I hate this U.K. team and betting on this U.K. team as much as any team in a while. Uh, they have absolutely screwed me at every turn, regardless of whether I pick them or pick against them like I did in the Georgia game. They screw me. So um, I hate this game right here. Alabama, 30-point favorite. The total is 58. W- what do you think, Skinny? I know Mark Stoops used the word pissed at his defensive effort on, on, uh, you think? on Saturday. And, and I'll tell you, being at the game, I was really disappointed how, how good that defense is and how they just let themselves get pushed around because they did not play with any intensity But they give up 85 to Vanderbilt? <laughs> they didn't give up 85. They gave up 35. Oh, okay. but <laughs> It, it felt, felt like 85, like 85 if you had yes. bet it. Yes. Um, and I get it. I mean, they were up 38-21. Now, I will say at 38-21, he put in a third-string freshman quarterback who – um, threw a couple nice balls, but then they had to punt and suddenly Vandy scores and suddenly they try to run out the clock and can't and Vandy scores again. And um, it got a little haywire there at the end. I, I think based on, on the way Mark Stoops will get into the, to, to his defense this week. And the fact that this is a good defense and it does have good personnel and it's proven that against some good teams. I think they do enough to slow Alabama to keep this game reasonable. I'm going to go crimson tide 34 Kentucky 13 so uh, for me it'll be Kentucky plus the 30 and the under by a mile well I don't like the pick because like I said they they have screwed me and you even go back to that Georgia game they kept that one close and I bet on Georgia in it so I don't feel good about this but I'm pissed off at UK so I'm definitely not picking them (laughs) I'm going Alabama 42 Kentucky 10 Bama and the under. I will not be betting any Kentucky games the rest of the year in real life so I'll do it I do like I do like this game I, and I do like the under a lot here. Yeah, I do too. 58 seems like a lot for these these two teams. Yeah, I think Kentucky's going to have a hard time scoring, um, but I also think they'll do enough. They, they've got, they're good enough defensively to, to get some stops against this Alabama offense. I, I would think so. And, and offensively, I don't even think they're going to really try to give Alabama the chance to you know, run up Correct. 50 points on them. Agreed. Sunday, 1 p.m., we've got Bengals at football team. The Washington football team is favored by a point and a half. The total is 46 in the hook. Um, I'm, I'm going to ride the Bengals here. I, I, I think they are, they, they have proven to me against the, 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 the kind of not, not the upper, upper echelon, but the playoff echelon teams that they're more than capable of competing. I think they, they showed against Jacksonville when they're better, they're going to beat them. 
And this is probably the second worst team they've played. The worst team they've played probably since Jacksonville. Um, so I, I, I like it. They're getting a little healthier. It looks like LaShawn Sims and Mackenzie Alexander will be back this week to replace the godforsaken Tony Brown and Jalen Davis at corner. Um, I think that's a huge upgrade. I think you're going to get Jonah Williams back this week. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, and I think Joe Burrow's the kind, he, he ain't having back-to-back bad performances. And I didn't think his performance in Pittsburgh was all that bad. I don't think. Yeah. I th- they made too much out of the second half. Yeah, correct. When it was all um, already out of hand. And again, that's a great defense. Um, Washington's got a nice front four. I just don't know about their back seven. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to go Bengals. I'll go Bengals 30 Washington, the football team 24. So that'll be the Bengals and the over for me. Bengals and the over covering easily the 46 and a half uh, yeah. a low number there that to me it feels like this is an easy over pick with these Agreed. two offenses going at it um, you know you mentioned the Washington defense they're they're like middle of the pack statistically but if you look they've played two games against the Giants already and they have that anomaly 25-3 win over Dallas which is changing their numbers a little bit I think they're you know they're cooking the books to a certain extent here Um They've allowed 30 or more in five games this year, including last yeah. week against Detroit. I think the over is the big winner. I uh, This is the first time all year I'm doing it. I'm betting the Bengals. Bengals 35, football team 31, Bengals in the over for me. All right, there we go. That brings us to our Sunday night game at 8.20 p.m. We've got Kansas City at Las Vegas. The Chiefs are a 7.5-point favorite. The total is 56.5. And the Raiders are a mess because they got all these dudes in COVID protocol. I mean, if if I if I can be guaranteed that they're going to get those guys out, I am all over the Raiders here. And I know people are going to look and go, revenge game for the Chiefs. That's fine, but the Chiefs defense is starting to worry me a little bit. I mean, teams are teams are piling on points, and look, they're, they're going to score. But I don't think Carolina's very good, and Carolina stood toe to toe with the Chiefs um, a, a couple of weeks ago. The Kansas City's coming off the bye, obviously. So were the Raiders, but they stood toe to toe with them. Uh, you know, 33-31. They played the Jets the week before that. I don't count them, but Denver got a little bit on them. Um, the Raiders got 40 on them the last time they played. I just I just think the Raiders, again, a lot of this depends on the COVID stuff. Um, they've got – it's just incredible. They, they got, I think – I literally think it's 19 guys in COVID, but it's weird. It's, 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 a, it's a big number. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that those guys are going to be ready to play, at least a chunk of them. So I'm going to go Chiefs. 35 Raiders 32 in a weird one. Um, they go for too late to try to get it within the field goal. So I'm going to go Raiders to cover and the over. All right. You got Raiders and the over. It's just, this stuff is so weird with all the COVID. So when you don't know like what's going to happen leading up to a game, it makes it you tough don't. to handicap it. it does. Um, I'm just going to go with the storyline, the simple narrative, the the trap that every that they want you to take and that everyone's going to take. I think Kansas City does see it as a revenge game, and I think they get back for it. I'm going to go 35-27, so Chiefs get their revenge and cover the spread just barely, and uh, it would that would be over the number. You know, Rick, I, I rarely do this. In fact, I hardly ever look at, at, at betting on an individual team's point total, but I swear, I mean – I should probably be smart enough to go if the Chiefs are anywhere around 30 each week to take them over because they're scoring 30 on anybody. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and, you know, I think the Raiders have a decent defense and they're well coached, but um, it's hard to imagine anyone holding the Chiefs under 30. You're right. I mean, I'm just going to run down the point totals for the Chiefs going backwards. 33, 35, 43, 26 against the Bills, 32, 26 against the Patriots, 34 against the Ravens, 23 in overtime against the Chargers, 34 against the Texans. I mean, they just – their lowest point total this year is – where, where, where am I at? 20, 
23 is their lowest point total this year. That's crazy for an NFL team. Yeah, I wonder what kind of juice they're getting on their t- team overs. I'm, I'm betting yeah, I'm, they're juicing those up to like minus 130 or something. To, they, they have to. I, I, would, I would probably agree. I'm going to have to look at that maybe this week. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to our Monday night game, 8.15 p.m. We've got Rams at Bucks. Another really interesting game here. Bucks are a four-point favorite. The total is 48 and a half. This is a big game for both, obviously. I mean, Tampa big Bay, their, their schedule coming up is really, really tough. They got the surging Vikings. Then what feels like the Falcons are going to get them at one point because the Falcons are playing better. They play at the Falcons than at the Lions. Um, actually, I'm sorry, after the Rams, they play the Chiefs. So, I mean, this is a this is a tough stretch. It's Rams, Chiefs, uh, Chiefs, Vikings, and then at the Falcons. That's a that's a tough stretch. So, this feels like one that they have to have. Well, oh, man, uh, the, Ra- the, the Rams are playing so well right now. Uh, they're playing great complimentary football. They're running it when they need to run it. They're, you know, th- that game against the Dolphins, I'm going to throw out. I mean, they they – they dominated that game and just a, a couple of special teams gaffes and some turnovers got them. Um, but their defense is playing great. I, I think they go on the road and get this win. I, I, I just do. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Rams 23 bucks, 20. That's funny. We're, we're dead on in our analysis of this one. Um, you're going Rams and under I'm with you on Rams and under, I actually had 24, 21 as my score. So just a point off with both team. Um, the Rams are kind of confusing to me because I get what you're saying, but I also think there's the argument that Seattle was their first actual big win. Yeah, no, that's good. You know, I mean, that's you can fair, kind yeah. of look at the, what the teams they've beaten so far. Seattle's the one, the first one that really impresses me, if we're being honest. And um, you mentioned the Bucks and the what they have coming up. The Rams have three big ones in a row now with Tampa Bay, San Francisco, and Arizona back yeah. to back to back. So um, both teams coming off a big win. Rams games have gone under seven times this year. Uh, I think Aaron Donald gets to Tom Brady, and that's the difference in this one. It makes Tom Brady uncomfortable, and this game stays low scoring. And uh, I like the under a lot here. I don't feel great about the pick, but I, like I said, I'm going Rams 24, bucks 21. All right, there we go. We're right. almost in lockstep. Yeah, what's your uh, pick of the week here? You got when neither one of us hit last week. We both were, were thrown off. You had the Bengals that killed you, and I had uh, Kentucky that killed me. All right, uh, three team teaser. I'm going to take the uh, the Rams up to the uh, 11 number, um, getting 11, even though it's on the road. I'm taking the Vikings down to one against the Cowboys at home, and I'm going to take the Packers up to. Uh, I, I take it back. I'm not going to take the Packers. I, I looked at that wrong. Like, I was looking at the wrong wrong part line. And I'm going to take the Chargers down to two. Uh, I'm going to do this as a as a six and a half point teaser. So actually, let me go back. I'm going to do it as a six and a half point teaser. So I'm going to take the Rams up to ten and a half. I'm going to take the Vikings down to literally what's a pick them because they're laying seven. And I'm going to take the Chargers down to two at home against the Jets. All right, there you go. So Rams, easy money. Rams, Vikings, Chargers. Skinny giving out your free money for this week. I've got a six point teaser in the college game. But we're going all overs, baby. We're just rooting for points this week. We're picking no spreads. I just like some numbers here. All right. All right. I, that's all. It's all good. Ohio State, Indiana, take that down to 60. Over 60. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Florida, Vandy, take that over down to 62. Ooh, I don't know. I think Vandy gets just destroyed by Florida. I think that game's like 51 to 7. Well, I agree that they get destroyed, but Florida just scored 63 last week against Arkansas and made it Be- look easy. The total here is 62. By the way, they Kyle Trask Heisman? He's in the running, and that's the other part of this, is I think they really want him to get it based on the way they're calling yep. their plays right now, and their yep. defense can't stop a soul. So their defense will let Vandy score. Like, they just get into track meets and just want to throw the ball all over the field. They could have 50 points at halftime. I'm not even kidding you. 
Like I it, don't think I, I think that's a good, a good point. So, just, I do not think 62 is too much because Florida will score 63 by themselves in this game. I'm you might be you. right. That's, that's a good call. All right. Fair and enough. then be at, you know, at 69, I didn't like it or 68. I didn't like it as much, but at 62, I feel much better about it. Um, I mean, you're, you are right. They could score. I mean, honestly, Kentucky they just scored 63 is, against can, Arkansas. Kentucky's offense is terrible, and they were 38 early in the fourth quarter. That's what and, I'm saying. And they started putting backups in. They could have easily gotten in the 40s. I mean, Vanderbilt literally did not stop them all day. And and Kentucky was was trying to stop Awful. Vanderbilt and slow the game down. Florida's just going to let them score and keep running up and down the field. Like, they don't even care. So, uh, I, I, I'm telling you, Florida's going to score 63 right, in that enough. game. And then uh, BYU... North Alabama, you take that down to 52 and a half. BYU scored 51 last week at Boise State. And they're trying to prove that they belong in a college football playoff. You don't think they're going to score 50 points in the first half at North Al- against North Alabama at home? And I think and I think North Alabama's only played two games, am I right? Yeah, and they're and I mean they're uh, horrible. So. Uh, I don't know. Actually, hang on. They're not horrible because I, I looked them up a, a couple of days ago. They actually played Liberty to within three touchdowns, and they only lost by eleven to Southern Miss. So that's not horrible. So Southern Miss is horrible. Trust me, they're going to get boat raced here. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I'm I'm yeah. kind of with you, but uh, yeah. But anyway, the point is, the point is, I'm not picking against the spread. Anyways, it's fifty two and right. a half. Yeah, that, that, that that's got a fifty nine to seven feel to it. You're right. Yeah. So so there you go. Like I said, B, uh, F- Florida and BYU, I think will get the the totals basically by themselves, and then that OSU IU game over sixty, you got to feel good about. That's good stuff. I like yeah. it. All right. Skinny, it is time for our favorite part of the podcast. That's where our listeners ask you whatever they want. Hashtag ask skinny anything. And we will start with a somewhat sports related question following up from the NBA draft analysis last night. How would Jay Billis describe you if plucked from local 12 in a media expansion draft? Uh, This was this was from our boss talking about both of us. And I will tell you what, I, I, I already wrote up a scouting report for you of what Billis would say if you were wow. in the draft. Do you want to okay. know? Yeah, I want, I want to hear it. I've got Richard Skinner is a high motor, versatile guy who can create content at all three levels, meaning he can write, he can do radio, and you can put him on camera and he'll be productive. He has great quick twitch talking ability and is a very emotional leader who wears his heart on his sleeve, is another coach inside the newsroom. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's pretty good. That's oh my heavens. That's I feel like that's Billis right there. That that yeah, that that that, that, that I, I like that. I quick I, twitch that, that would be talking quick, about like working the, quick twitch was pretty good. I thought that was very well done. Very, very well done. I applaud you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I assumed he meant for our media ability and not our athletic ability there with that question. Uh yeah, that would probably be be, be correct. How would yeah. you write up a scouting report on yourself? Um you got versatility. I would yeah, I would say uh, irrationally confident and versatile. <laughs> I like the irrationally confident. That's funny. Yeah, I'm like the 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 uh, Dion Waiters type prospect. I guess you would say. Not Anthony Bennett. I'm just no, no. I'm not a number one pick. I'm the I'm the guy you take who has maybe not the best attitude. Early, but early, early, early second round, and you just go. You know, he's got some upside. He's gonna chuck from 35 feet. I'll give him that. He will do that. <laughs> He'll keep trying that guy. Um, all right. Uh, he also asked, Rick has a child who grows up to be a good student and decides to attend Wright State. What's your initial reaction when you are told? Uh, I just want to say this is, I, I think I'll be a very accepting parent. I don't think there's anything that would ever make me not love my child or kick them out of my house unless they came home and said, 
I'm going to Wright State. But here's the thing. One, if they're a good student, they're not going to go to Wright State. And two, you're talking about a child of mine being college age. Wright State's not still going to be funded as a college. They've almost been defunded like three times and gone under. They're barely even Division One in athletics right now. I think they've, they're like having to apply for a waiver to do that. So I don't believe they'll still be around at that point. So I don't think this is a concern at all. But I would kick my kid out of the house if that happened. Uh, that's funny. My uh, my late uncle, uh, my mother was born in Birmingham, Alabama and lived there and he, he stayed in Alabama um, and he was an is an Auburn grad, was an Auburn grad and was very, very proud of Auburn. He had season tickets for football. He loved Auburn football. And somehow he had a daughter that went to Alabama. Now, he did love her. I don't think he was happy with it. But that you, if, if they can pull that off, Rick, I think you can pull this off with the right state thing. No, no, I, I couldn't. Uh, the football recruits mom, who was the Alabama fam did, that walked out on him when he when he chose LSU. I, I remember that. Yeah, Do you remember that. Yeah, it was on yeah. ESPN. They, yep. they let him pick live. I can't remember the kid's name. I'm drawing a total blank. I can't on either, it, but, but I, re- I remember the scene. Yeah, live on ESPN. His mom just got up and walked out. And then the ESPN anchors are like, uh, who was that? And he's like, that was my mom. They're like, you want to tell us what happened there? He's like, I don't really know. I don't think she was very happy. And she was in like full Alabama garb. <laughs> he chose LSU. I feel like she had maybe taken a bag already, possibly from Alabama. Yeah, maybe, and that was, yeah, or, maybe, yeah, exactly. or maybe she wasn't getting the bag anymore. I don't know that that seemed like that was a little more personal than just being a fan, but yeah, that's how I would be. If like, if it was, we were at Holy cross high school in Latonia and my kid was announcing his commitment to some horizon league program or mid major. And he's like, pulls the right state hat out of the bag and surprised me with that. I'd just get up and leave him right there. James Weber would have to talk to him by himself. I don't think you would do that. I will. I swear to God I would. But again, this is the thing. Like, first of all, you're not sending your kid to Dayton. You're not letting your kid go up to Dayton. If you have half of a brain, that's just a stupid move. It's like the crime capital of the world. Uh, that's tremendous. Terrible city. <laughs> uh, the weekend is the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, this is a two-part question. Can Skinny name one song from the weekend? And what current singer group would keep Skinny in a seat to watch the halftime show? See, I'd have to go back to old school people, man. I'd rather have like, I, I, see, I know my kids didn't like the Stones halftime show. I did. I know of the weekend. I, I can't do, I, I don't know any songs from the weekend. But you you're, you know of the weekend. Do you like, are you okay with his general vibe? Or are you not into it at all? What, well, what do you feel let, like? me, let me just tell you what I do with halftime shows. I don't watch beer flavored beer, beer flavored beer. I, I honestly, there's, there's no halftime show that usually will hold my interest. I, I'm just halftime for me is the time to flip the channel to something else that's going on. I just don't, I, 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 I that or it's time to honestly go take a long dump. I just halftime shows hold no interest for me. Just None. purge all the chicken wings and beer flavored beer yep, right then and that, there. That, while that, that's correct. Lady that's Gaga correct. is tearing up the stage. That's correct. Um, give me a, give me a song from the weekend. Do you, do you have a, a favorite weekend song? Uh, I'm a huge weekend fan. I don't know what, uh, maybe, uh, low life with future would be uh, right up there. I I really like, um, I saw him in concert when he was at us bank arena or whatever it's called now. And it was one of the best concerts I've been to. Uh, I, I very much my vibe right there. Who, Who was, who was with him? Uh, you know, Belly was one of the people that opened up for him and not, Nell, uh, not Nelly, but Belly, Belly. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, th- uh, not Migos. Who are, who are the little guys? The, uh, black Beatles, um, <laughs> Ray Shremmerd, Ray Shremmerd opened up for him. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So that was him. All right. Uh, 
I need Skinny's take on fleets. On fleets? Fleets. Do you know what that is? No clue. Oh, boy. Well, I, I wish we were allowed to see each other right now or we were doing this podcast in person because my first fleet would definitely have you in it. Uh, Twitter has rolled out a stories for, you know, like Facebook stories or Instagram stories where it's yes. like it appears for 24 hours, Snapchat, same thing. Uh, Twitter has rolled out that same function. So you can post like photos or videos or whatever for 24 hours in like a story format and then they disappear. What's um, the point? <laughs> what's the point? I mean, honestly, give me what, what's the point? Well, I actually love it because I, I do not, I like the stories function. I think it is a great function. Um, that's why all of the apps have stolen it. Snapchat had it first and uh, Instagram and Facebook, which the same company stole it from Snapchat and now Twitter stealing it from them. Um, but I don't like, like, I don't really use Instagram regularly. I don't use Snapchat at all. I use Twitter constantly. So it's like, I'm concerned about how much time I'm going to spend scrolling through these stories that I don't care about now, but I do like that they added the function to Twitter because Twitter's my uh, platform of choice. So I'm, I'm why, fine why, with it. Why not just link to the story and, and read it there? Well, this is why just, did, why, why does it go away in 20? What's the point? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I can't is help it, you is with it just, what the original honestly, point of was the story. Is it just another way to post some kind of pick on there and have everybody see it and you're all happy with it. And it goes away. I mean, what, what are we doing? <laughs> Well, that's what that was Snapchat's original purpose and Snapchat Correct. came up with a story. So, Correct. I mean, you might be onto something there. Yeah, I think it is. It's, it's a way for people to post embarrassing, shameless content and feel like it's not sticking on their profile forever. Um, and why post it at all? Which here's the funny thing. People see, are acting like these are uh, more temporary, but tweets like the average tweet is has a life of like 15 minutes and then it's gone forever no, it, that, that's what's funny i usually for stories that i put on our website i usually schedule two and maybe three tweets and occasionally i'll get the I, it doesn't happen very often i'll get the occasional how come i've seen this three times i'm like well because for whatever reason you're on the timeline at that but people don't always see that the, the same timeline that's like people always wonder uh for for radio shows for some of them that maybe in hour three they recycle stuff that was done in hour one not everybody's listening to all three hours of your show yeah. I mean, sometimes people listen to 15 minutes of it. Yeah. So the metrics would tell you they listen to about 15 minutes or less. Yes. So. And that's the same thing with, 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 yeah, with Twitter. So, yeah. And so like, that's the, the, that's the funny thing is these, like whatever you're doing to me, it really highlights whatever you did more because it puts it directly at the top of everyone's feed there at this little profile bubble where they click on it or they cycle through and they see that story. So it actually draws more attention and spotlights a tw tweet for a full 24 hours, as opposed to just giving it that like 15 minutes assuming it doesn't go viral or something. I, I, I won't be fleeting anytime soon. Yeah. Well, we will, oh, we'll be on the lookout for that. I, I think I'll probably post my first fleet this weekend. I wish, um, like I said, I wish well, we were together well, right I, now. That I, would I be sure, a make for I, a great fleet. Well, I sure hope you text me so I can look at that fleet. I'm so looking forward to that. You know what? All you got to do is just click at the uh, top of the app, your, your Twitter app. You'll just see my okay. profile bubble there. You there can, we go. Okay. Um, you come across a suitcase of $1 million on the back roads of Latonia. What are you doing with the money? Um, I'm probably keeping it. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I think, I, would, I think you want to know I, would, I would say this. I would look to see if, if there's some identification in the suitcase. I mean, if somebody, if, if somebody put their, put like a little name card and I, I do that with my suitcase. I got a name card in mind. Mary in Swanson. No, well, Mary Swanson. I think I'd contact her and go, Mary, 
you lost $643,000 because I'd keep 300,000 of it. Um, and Mary would tell me, no, it was a million. And I'd say, no, Mary, I, I got 643,000 for you here. I found, that's what I found. Yeah. I, we'd have to take a trip to uh, Colorado, like dumb and dumber. Find exactly. Mary. I, I'd find Mary. I would, I really, truly would. I, but again, I would probably tell Mary, I found 643,000 of your million dollars. <laughs> I wouldn't even tell her it was a million. I'd say, I got, I found a suitcase with $643,000. And when she would tell me it's a million, I go, well, there's, that's what I got. I've, I've counted this out. $643,000. Do you want it? So we took this question two different ways. You took it as like, what was, what's the moral thing? Like, what's, what are you going to do with the moral Because here's, here's the deal, man. If somebody lost a million dollars in a suitcase in Latonia, ain't no doubt in my mind that's illegal money somewhere. Yes, for sure. Uh, that is 100% guaranteed. Well, first of all, if you have a million dollars in a suitcase, it's illegal money. Period. End of story. No one's <laughs> that's, that's a good point too. No matter where. I mean, definitely in Latonia, but anywhere, a million dollars in a suitcase is illegal money. But I took this to mean like he was asking us, like, what are we like the old proverbial lottery question? Like, if you win the lottery, what are you gonna do with the money? I was thinking he wanted us to spend it in a different way and tell him how we're gonna spend a million dollars. You took the moral dilemma route. Um, I'm keeping it. Yeah, I think that's very obvious. Like, I'll I'll let the the Latonia mob come after me. I think they've been after me since uh, I had too many time. donuts at the at the bakery there on the corner of. Oh, that bakery's fabulous, Winston. Yeah. So, What's the name uh, of that bakery? It's just bakery, right? No, it's got a name. It's, that place no, is awesome. Yeah, it used to be. Um, oh God, it did have a name, and I I'm drawing a. Blank that's okay. You, we're talking about the same place. We just, just called fabulous. it the bakery. Yeah, know? it is. That's that's what I call it, the bakery. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that that's all I got in that regard. I mean, in terms of the spending, spending the money, I've got student loans, so that's the first place I'm going. <laughs> good, for yeah, being good, honest, yeah, I'm 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 gonna say I, I I don't have a lot of debt to clear, but I'm gonna clear that debt, and then I'm gonna probably uh, I'm gonna probably just uh, retire and um, probably gamble it all away within two years, and then hope my social security comes along. Yeah, we're well. That's exactly what we're doing. We are. I'm paying off my student loans, and then we are just going all in on the uh, gambling podcast. We're just going to use yes. that as a bankroll no, for no our question. podcast, and we're just going to sit there at it. And we're going to go to the circus sports, the new swimming pl bet place. We're going to sit out there drinking uh, mai tais or Long Island iced teas or whatever you want, and we're just going to bet and podcast all day. That's, that's it. It's pretty, pretty. I'm with it. I'm down. That's perfect. That's, that's perfect the life right that. there. Exactly. The, the May Madness at the uh, Circa Sports Facility. Come see us. Exactly. All right. Well, that's all we got. All right. Good stuff. I appreciate it as always. Uh, thanks to Rick. We'll be back next week with uh, hopefully some college basketball conversation. We'll probably do our podcast next uh, Wednesday with Thanksgiving being Thursday. So actually, we probably won't have college basketball because it doesn't start until Wednesday. And hopefully it does start on Wednesday. Uh, so we will be back next week with more. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition.